Fuckers. Welcome to Speak and Destroy, episode 14. Speak and Destroy is a podcast about all things Metallica. I am your host, Ryan J. Downey. My guest this episode is ex-Godforbid guitarist Doc Coyle. Godforbid went from DIY hardcore shows to major metal festivals, touring the world on Ozfest and Mayhem and with bands like Slipknot, Machine Head, and Gwar selling over 300,000 copies of records like Determination and 4 Constitution of Treason in the process. In 2009, Mark Morton from Lamb of God asked Doc to fill in for him on a three-week leg of the World Magnetic Tour with Metallica, Lamb of God, and Volbeat. He's since worked as a touring member of fellow New Wave of American Heavy Metal acts Trivium, Unearth, and Darkest Hour, and more recently, he co-wrote a couple of songs featured on recent albums by Body Count and Hatebreed singer Jamie Josta's solo band, Josta. As a writer and culture commentator, Doc's musings have been featured on VH1.com and Metal Sucks. He at one point worked for the NBA, and he's now playing in a new band called Bad Wolves. I've had the pleasure and privilege to know Doc for many years, going back to when we first crossed paths on the DIY hardcore touring circuit of the mid to late 90s. He was an outspoken supporter of my band, Burn It Down, and someone who always had a kind word, a clever quip, and a good-natured smile anytime I've run into him over the years. Doc came by my house and engineered a couple of recordings, this episode of Speak and Destroy you're listening to, as well as a forthcoming episode of his podcast, The X-Man, where the interview tables were turned around on me. Great concept, great execution, The X-Man focuses on musicians and creative professionals who have split from a major venture at some point in their career. Did I mention his favorite band in the world is Metallica? This is a super fun episode. As I was setting up to record, Doc was telling me about meeting Lloyd Grant, the ripping Jamaican guitar player who used to jam with Lars right here in Orange County, California, and actually played the second solo on the four-track recording of Hit the Lights that first appeared on the initial pressing of the Metal Massacre compilation. The recording starts just as we were discussing that, so here we go. This is Speak and Destroy. <laughs> Both Metallica and Megadeth briefly had African Americans in their lineups. Who was Megadeth? They had a drummer by the name of Dijon Carruthers. Dijon? By the way, that's a good black dude name. It is. <laughs> and uh, it's funny, I just. See, I, I love. That's like having the name New Orleans Beaumont. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Are you kidding me? <laughs> um. Yeah, he. Uh, I've had the privilege of becoming very good friends with David Ellison over the last uh, several years, the last 10 years or so. Just to let you know, we are recording. Perfect. Because this is a great place for us to start. Um, you know, Megadeth was the band that got me into metal. Peace Cells was the first metal record I ever heard. Megadeth was the first metal band I ever saw in concert. So I love, anytime I'm around Dave Ellison, I love to unearth some of my super nerdy Megadeth knowledge. And... Uh, I made some kind of joke about Dion Carruthers with Ellison the other day. I was just was with him last week and he just laughed and was like, you know, cause it's always that like, ah, oh, he, he's, he's pulling this out again. You know, this deep knowledge, deep dive stuff. Um, so we need Dion Carruthers and uh, Lloyd Grant to start a band. Dude, the X-Man band. <laughs> See who we can pull. And they can even have that connotation of the X, like the Malcolm X. Well, it just got it just got woke up in it's here. It's so woke. 
Uh, you know, actually talking about Lloyd Grant and Dion Carruthers bridges us nicely into something. As soon as I knew that I was going to be with you today, I was like, I've always wanted to ask him about this. As a journalist, I remember when, God forbid, signed a Century Media and getting the promo CD and the little promo slip sleeve style and the bio that came with it. I want to say the first sentence was, they may look like living color. But they sound like at the gates. Wow. All these years I've wanted to talk to you about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I know who wrote the bio too, and I don't want to. Uh, I think I remember who wrote the bio too. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll all. Just... It's somebody we both love. I don't want to throw well, here's, him here, or her under here, the bus. Here's what I'll say. In, like I can laugh about it now because I think it yeah. sounds kind of funny. And, and also we have to keep in mind time has passed. Culture has changed. Indeed. The way we... Word things, whatever. Not, not so woke in two thousand. But I've, I've listen. I've mentioned this on my podcast, um, because it's actually really important. Like for me to, one thing I was doing my show, and I realized, wow, I've done like twenty episodes, and they've all been white dudes, not on mm. purpose, just because this industry, the the heavy metal world, is it's more white men than anything. It's just culturally, it's guys because it's metal because we're nerds and we yeah. like weird aggressive things. Um, and it's white because it's just, gen- the, the culture is kind of generally that. So it wasn't on purpose. So it's been lately, I've been making sure want to have more women on, want to more have people of color yeah. on, not to like meet some quota just because it's like, Hey, in, in, in certain respects, I'm uniquely positioned to kind of tell these stories and, absolutely and, uh, bring that, make that part of kind of what the show is about. But like to kind of speak to that, um, that whole thing was, and I've, I've spoken about this on my show is I think it's. For a new band, anything you have that kind of makes you stick out, you kind of need to run with it. Because the truth is, that made the band more interesting. If it was just a bunch of guys in long hair from Minnesota that looked like any other metal band, what's really your angle? What's your story? It made press interested in the band. And I'll be honest, our background was unique. Mm, We we weren't... um, a bunch of white kids who grew up in the suburbs playing in their garage and listening to King Diamond, even though those dude, my, the guys in my band were listening to King Diamond. <laughs> you know, we were an urban band. Like, we grew up in the city. And, we, you know, we were out there sm- drinking 40s and smoking weed. And, live like, we were living more like NWA, even though we weren't shooting nobody or nothing. Right. But we were living more like that. And, you know, what made us... At, and the, the, the quote... Is true. We were not. We didn't break down. Have a reggae part. You know, we didn't have. A, yeah. Oh, let's have a funky yeah. hip hop part and and kick some rhymes over the. Oh no, the band had more in in common with Scandinavian bands and sure. metalcore from Massachusetts than it did. Uh, like from the like at least you have a band like the Bad Brains where there was black music kind of underneath that and they would have these parts or Living Color has a lot of soul in their music, a lot of R&B mm. in their music, that kind of... 24-7 spas. That groove you you associate with American black music. And we weren't really doing that, even though, we, let's keep it real, we could throw down a groove. <laughs> so I never, had, I never had a problem with it. And I think you have to start somewhere. Um, and I, I think it presented its own challenges because the, the culture of metal is very white, very European, there's no angle that you can be like, uh, you know, people aren't really going to connect to it. it. You know, identity has a lot to do with 
the music we um we kind of make part of our 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 personal story and the truth is like i'll tell you this story i've told a bunch of times about we did a tour opening for six feet under and it was lamb of god was also on the tour and lamb it was and it was we were about the same level they were a little bigger but just to see how they grabbed whole rooms of people that didn't know the band because i feel like they could just connect with them they seemed a little more like them the music was a little more spoke to their soul in a way that I think has something to do with identity. And here's the thing. I think it's totally fine. Like if El Nino goes and plays in like Mexico or goes and plays in Spain and they're singing in Spanish and they have traditional Latin percussion and they say, hey, that connects to my culture. What's wrong with that? Yeah. Uh, And you know what's interesting? um, Well, first of all, when you mentioned that idea about the context of, of the guests that you're assembling on your podcast, that's crossed my mind as well. And like you said, not to fill a quota, but more just to make sure that it's representative of the broader reach that some of these different topics will have. Um, you know, with uh, the No Prize from God podcast, uh, the second episode I did, um, I have an Episcopal priest, an Episcopal, Episcopal priest and uh, theologian who is uh, identifies as unapologetically black and unapologetically queer. That's in his Twitter bio. Uh, and it was, you know, there was, he's somebody I look up to and respect and am friends with, but there was also, I wanted to early on make sure that I set a precedent of like, hey, this isn't going to just be straight white dudes all day on this podcast. And even doing a podcast about Metallica, where it might one might think from the outside that it's a little harder to have diverse guests. Um, Rob Halford, of course, uh, openly gay. I, I've done two long interviews with him in the last uh, year and a half or so. And that hasn't even come up as a topic of conversation. By the way, from, from now on, I'm going to stop apologizing for being half black. <laughs> Unapolo- <laughs> Unapologetically half black. All right. Um, That's a, that is a statement. It is indeed, right? I will not apologize for who I am. And when I and, and I love that I love that that's in his Twitter bio because then I can describe him that way and not sound retarded. Well, that reminds me of the, 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 the George Carlin joke. He's like, people always say he's openly gay. He's like, we don't say that about anyone else. We don't say anyone's openly black. He goes, well, I guess James <laughs> Brown would be considered openly black. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, yeah. Or, or redefine now unapologetically. So to kind of follow this thread with where I'm going is when you when you do much like, honestly, human history, right? When you when you lift up the lid, all of these stories are actually right there beneath the surface of people of color, of people of different sexualities and different religions and different life experience. Even something like Metallica that is so ostensibly white on the face of it. You have someone who's an important part of their history, like Lloyd Grant, or you have uh, Michael Alago, um, who's a gay Puerto Rican who was into punk rock and new wave and all this stuff. Who's the guy who signed Metallica to Electra Records? Um, I had him on as a guest. Well, even um, I think the fact that Lars is Danish, I think that creates a different cultural perspective and a different viewpoint and has a, a, an idea of why they are such a kind of global phenomenon, mm-hmm. right? It it, mm-hmm. it translates everywhere. And if you, I think if you don't have a European in the band, maybe it, it doesn't have that same element. This Plus, is, I, is Kirk Hammett really white? 
He looks something. He looks like he's isn't he Filipino? He got some. That's what I'm saying, man. Global. The death the de- death angel dudes are Filipino dudes too, right? Yeah, I think they're something like that. I yeah. don't know. I don't, listen. I don't be getting into all that. I don't guess. <laughs> what, I'm just like you look like something with that hair, <laughs> that curly hair. That ain't. That's a that's a special. That's Asian curl. That's that's. I don't know. That's an Afro Cuban. Uh, Twist. I don't know what's yeah. going, something's going on there. And you know what you're talking about in that global appeal of Metallica is actually something that um, you know Hollywood has figured out. The Fast and the Furious franchise is, if you look at it, very calculated. And like, there's a character in that ensemble that different people in different parts of the world can each identify with and say that person's representative of me. And then I don't think it's any accident that those films are so massively successful all around the world. Um, and then, and then you take that cast of characters and you go, this movie's going to be in Brazil. This one's going to be in Florida. This one's going to be in Moscow or what, you know, it's, um, it's very smart in that sense, because I think the more people getting back to what you were saying about, you know, Lamb of God and performing in front of those audiences and sort of the difference in connection. Um, I suppose to some extent we do like to see and feel familiarity, I guess. With Well, it's just, it's all right. I'll give you an example. Hip hop music, you know, as big as anything in late 80s into early 90s. But we can specifically point to how well the Beastie Boys did. We can look and see how well uh, Eminem did and how they crossed over in a way that the truth is, you, you know, people always have that point of, you know, hey, I want a black Barbie doll. That looks like me. Hey, maybe we we're gonna go see Black Santa Claus, you know, yeah. or whatever. You can and you can make that oh, for it. I'm, I'm getting a bandaid, a skin colored bandage, or, air quotes, or, or whatever. But <laughs> that you know, when especially when you live in a society where all of the movie stars and the action heroes are of this color, then all of a sudden Shaft comes out, and that inspires that culture to say, "Hey, you know what? I connect to that." And, you know, listen, I'm kind of neither here nor there with that, but I understand. I don't think it's a character flaw. It makes people bad. It's just that's, you know, we're still kind of these biologically simple animals that, yes, he looked like me. I like it. Like, <laughs> it's not people are doing it on purpose. It doesn't make people racist. Doesn't make it make, you know, it's just, you know, especially if you're young. You don't know any better. You're just like, oh, I'm going to. Yeah, I can. You know, if you're a. You know, white kid from the suburbs in the middle America. Yeah, you probably going to connect a little more with Eminem than you do with Dr. Dre because his life experience. And that's the thing about Eminem that was so great was he was honest about his life experience. He didn't pretend to be, uh, you know, like oh I'm this hard rapper and I've gang. No, he's like I'm gonna talk about my life growing up in a trailer park, my mother who I don't like, and people say hey that speaks to my experience. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and which was the opposite of what Vanilla Ice had done that had gotten him so far. Oh, you remember that, that thing where he's so like, far. yo, I got stabbed right here. You yeah. see that? This thigh? You see it right there? I got stabbed right here. Yo, it's hard in the streets. Robert Van Winkle, what's up? You know, and I'll say what's up. I know I'm kind of making fun of Vanilla Ice, but anytime you want to call him the X-Man, Vanilla, you know, Ice, hit a, get, holla at your boy. It was, it was it was interesting that when he when new metal was popping and he did his new metal record that he suddenly had also been molested as a kid. Not to take anything away from that experience, maybe it's true, but it's like you're a gangster rapper and you've shot people and you've been stabbed, and now it's all new metal and corn, and suddenly you've well, actually, but but, but I but I think that's actually a really interesting interesting thing about corn was 
no one really talked about that. There's there's something fundamentally um, uh, emasculating mm-hmm. about talking about those experiences that think you know uh, rock music, hip hop, very masculine, very puffing your chest out. I'm the man. Look, you know, in, in different ways. Yeah, you know, but can you like I I can't imagine a rapper talking about getting uh, molested in a, in a song in a pop like a popular song you know maybe and you know what in the truth is i'm not mr hip-hop so i'm sure there are rappers that do talk about that but um in a lot of ways i'm sure someone like jonathan davis opened that door for other people to say you know what it's okay to actually be that vulnerable and the and the only commentary that i was that i would even make there is uh you know for me i just want someone to mean it i want it to be real i want it to be their experience and when you had somebody like a jonathan davis that opened the door to be so confessional and revelatory about all this unique experiences of his. And then to see bands come out and copy that, you know, that that's the thing that's frustrating to me where it's like, man, you're taking this guy's trip. That's so real and visceral and um, important and uh, kind of making a mockery of it by just, and and that's not to place a value judgment on Mr. Van Winkle. uh, Cause for all I know, he's the most awesome dude. I mean, surely he's had his own cross to bear by, being the guy who's been maligned with, uh, you know, being the the biggest uh, cultural straw man for being a phony. Although, actually, no, Millie Vanilli has that tag. True. Although, when it, whenever I start to feel sympathy for Vanilla Ice, then I remember him on VH1's The Surreal Life, like berating. He wasn't that uh, cool. Gary actually. Coleman, and he's like, "Say it, say what you're talking about, Willis. Just say it once." And it's like, dude, two episodes ago, you were spray painting over all the old pictures of you because you. You're so mad about Ice Ice Baby, and now you're trying to get this dude to say what you're talking about. Well, that sucks. So, tell me, how does Young Doc Coyle discover heavy metal? What was your entry point, and how did that lead to Metallica? It's, I guess you would say it's a it's an act in in three parts, and it's very simple. One, Wayne's World, and the the scene in the car where they play Bohemian's Rhapsody. I think there's something about uh, going through puberty, like around that 12, 13 age, where I guess the things start moving and, and things start growing, that you just start hearing guitars and like heavy drums and loud vocals, and you're like, I don't, what, what, why? Do, I wasn't paying attention to that before, but all of a sudden it kind of tickles your, your, your fancy. And just, uh, so that specifically, um, and just like the fact that the peak of the song, is the guitar riff mm. where they headbang? Mm-hmm. That's I was like, oh, what? What's that thing? That, that I like that. Um, so that that was really p- pivotal. The second thing was going to. Uh, so in my neighborhood, it was basically all black kids and Hispanic kids, pretty pretty poor. There were two white girls that lived in the neighborhood, and we were like, you know, neighborhood friends. We play and whatever. But then it was like a summer had passed, and like they had gone through puberty on their own, and I'd seen them in a while. And we we're just hanging out at their house, and they, and they had like posters of like Axl Rose and like Sebastian Bach and stuff. So they were like in their like glam, uh, you know, teeny bopper phase, but they liked rock. And I was watching MTV at their house, and I saw the video for uh, Symphony of Destruction. Wow. And I just, the beginning with the little symphony part, and then it kicks in, and dun it's just it, dun, like, dun it, dun, it's, it's dun, like, dun, dun. it was like crack for my ears. I was like, what? what what is this? Like, 
Why? Like it's where it just clicked and you were just like, whatever that is, I need that. So I, I went home and told my brother and I was like, yo, we have to watch MTV. And we had it. It's just like this thing you didn't realize you had, but we had cable. And I just literally just planted myself in front of MTV and just watch and watch and watch and watch. And then the third thing was uh, November Rain and just seeing and here and same thing like the Queen song. The peak of the song is a guitar part. And it builds for however long. And then just seeing Slash shirtless, you know, on a mountain or whatever the hell he's on. And it's just, it's windy. And there's like girls. And, and you know, it was just like the whole combination of those three events where it was like. So I was, at that time, I discovered the, the Guns N' Roses video from watching MTV. Uh, but I was watching everything. So I'd watch everything. I'd watch En Vogue and Janet Jackson. And I loved everything. But the the rock and metal was what grabbed me out of everything. And again, to our point from earlier, um, you think you would think of Guns N' Roses as like a white rock band, but you're just talking about Slash. That's right. There's a brother in there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Shit. So it's you know long dick. You just you uh, you know kind of right under our nose. So uh, that that's awesome. By the way, that Megadeth was such an important entry point for both of us because that was my you know, straight from Adam and the Ants and The Cure and Generation X, Billy Idol, straight from that into thrash metal when uh, my friend Dave Rogers gave me his cassette of Peace Cells to get rid of it. Wow. He, he was into stuff like Dawkin and Crocus and he bought that by mistake. Oh, oh your friend shot. Yeah, he was thinking it was like going to be like a kicks record or something. And he was like, what the hell is this? And gave it to me. You still talk to him? And it was, uh, yeah. We, we I wouldn't. It'd be over <laughs> after that. Like, yo, bro, you're shot. All right. He was into Maiden. I'll give him that. He All had right. Maiden posters. Nah, you, you don't give away the P-cells. You just, here's what you do. You just keep it in the files and then like, a, you'll just get back around to it. But you, you know. At some point know. you might be ready for it. But you know what? His, his loss was your gain. Indeed. It literally changed my life. Um, and then, you know, yeah, reading the thanks list and seeing who the other bands were. And, you know, I've told that story on this podcast before, but I love that that, that Megadeth was an entry point for you as well. And of course that relates back. But to keep on with, with Metallica out of all those three examples I mentioned, it was heavier than all that. So it was like, I had to acclimate myself to the, to the sound. And eventually it was this thing where it was like guns and roses and Megadeth, they were all kind of like neck and neck. And then Metallica, it was just like, you know, the 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 hair wins the race. And Adventure was just like, once you start getting into like the albums and then they start releasing more tracks and I got the uh, the box set, um, Live Shit, Binge and mm -hmm. Purge. And then you start discovering Fade to Black and, you know, Battery. And you're like, and then I, I, just, I still remember the first time I, I put on Injustice for All. Because that thing, it's, it's. When you go back, it's completely different when you come up with, you know, you know, and that's why I say my experience as a Metallica fan is so much different than someone a little older than me because they look at the Black Album as like this shift or this black mark or uh, a degradation of this kind of purity or this thrash stuff. But when you can, I feel like I'm much more objective as a fan because I look at the first five records as one thing. Um, and of course I can delineate the differences between this. No, I know what you mean them. But but I remember hearing uh, Blackened for the first time and being like, just not realizing stuff could be that heavy and that dark. 
and being like, oh my God. And it's just like the whole world opens up. And that's one of the things that makes uh, Metallica, one of the many things that makes them such a, a conversational firebrand is that you can pinpoint basically at every step of their career where someone it's time, place and circumstance and perspective. Cause for you, it's like, you can look at the first five albums as a monolithic sort of thing. And then there's people for people that where's the first four, the first three, the first two. Well, then, uh, well, I can still see the shit. No, I know. But, I, but know. I'm saying there, there, there are people much older than either of us who were bummed out that ride the lightning had a ballad on it, you know? So for everyone who's like, Oh, the black album or whatever there were, you know, I remember I was in, ninth grade when injustice for all came out and the very small posse of kids that i knew that were into thrash metal some crossover hardcore punk some gangster rap that was starting to happen our little lunch table of outcasts uh, almost everyone was upset and disappointed about injustice for all because uh, dire's eve is the only fast song you know and of course it's like injustice for all is it Black and pretty damn perfect fast. album. Yeah, Jason Newstead co-write in there. I wouldn't say it's flawless. Really? No. I the Beholder, is that where they lost him? No, it's it's not that. I mean, there's just the fact that there's no bass. <laughs> even that, I'm not I'm not bothered by because I've listened to those mixes on YouTube where they actually add bass. I'm and, kind of like and, and Justice for Jason. Yeah, it sometimes pro- they overdo it. It's like fleas playing bass. or well, something. Well, it would just probably need to be remixed so it actually right. sounds good instead of just someone turning the bass up too loud. I don't yeah. know. It's kind of split the difference because the guitar sound actually kind of doesn't leave room for bass, um, right? Unless you add some like right. tinny kind of like old like anthrax type bass that was like real high endy to kind of cut through. But the thing is, we, we get used to the way something sounds, and mm-hmm. then that's fine. No, I just think it's a little, there's a few tracks. Maybe I have the whole, maybe you're right. That's Maybe that's the one where it's like, this song could probably be about a minute shorter. I think that's the one, somewhere over the years, I saw an interview with Lars where they asked him his least favorite Metallica song, and I want to say that was the Well, song even the, the, the title track, I feel like, is probably a minute and a half too long. It takes a while to get to the get to the point and i think the the grief dealing with cliff's death there's a bleakness to that record that yeah no other record has ever been able to capture um and it's so it it makes it a, a less kind of joyful listen like it's a there it's heavy in, in ways you know like uh like to live is to die like i can't imagine that existing without that yeah, like there's just something so heavy about that, and I mean heavy emotionally, not heavy uh, sonically. Even though, yeah, it, even though it, you're it, right, the record is is, is bleak, especially for them, a band that we wouldn't we don't necessarily associate with bleak, and it's also mechanical for them in a way that nothing before or after was. Yeah, but mm-hmm. but the thing that you know, in go- going back, those I would say with all with that, Blackened is probably my favorite Metallica song. Uh-huh. And then they named their record label after. it. Yeah, and then um, shortest straw is probably top five for me. You know? I mean, and you don't. I mean, and, uh, imagine going to a Metallica show where they don't play one. I mean, you got well. One. I'll be honest. I'm like, I went to the show that they played. Actually, I've, I've seen them twice recently. I went to the show at the Palladium, uh, which was after the Grammys last year, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the stadium show, and Rose, Rose Bowl, Rose Bowl, I was and the Palladium one. I guess because there was some issue that where they ended up getting there late. The show started late, so they did a very like it was just greatest hits like 
But about yeah. a sh- you, it's the shortest Metallica set you'll ever see. It was maybe an hour. Um, and we, they probably weren't in a very good mood coming yeah, out of that grand. Yeah, because everything we got screwed up. Um, so I don't know if that was abbreviated because of what happened or it was planned that way. But it was greatest hits kind of thing. I think they did one kind of uh, left turn. But the stadium show, as amazing as it was, they kind of understood this is the big show. We have to kind of play to the crowd. But me, and I got to tour with Metallica when I played with Lamb of God back in 2009. Oh, we'll get that. They do... Uh, Every day they do certain songs. So they'll do like X amount of uh, new album tracks. I think it's about five per show. Then there's another seven or eight that they always play. So it's to be Sandman, uh, Seek and Destroy. You, the ones you, you pretty no, much can predict. Nothing else matters. Right. So that they do every day. And then Creeping the rest, death. they mix it up. It's different every day. They switch it up. Me, I would pay twice as much for the ticket where I could... Where the, they don't do any of the songs they always do, and they only do the other tracks because that's just those anniversary shows where they played everything imaginable. So, those are the ones in San Fran. So yeah, and you know they sell those on their website. I have all of them. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they ever played the same in four nights. If they played the same song probably twice, not. other than probably, probably Seek not. and Destroy or something. Um, yeah, I mean they even they even had Bob Rock playing bass on San Anger songs, and Lou Reed did the Lou Reed stuff with them. Um. And I then, got. I gotta go. On, so, do they have? Is it just audio? Do they have? Yeah, video you can. Too? You can. You can get just the but audio. no video. There is. Um. There's a lot of fan footage up, and there's also some pro shot stuff that they put up as recaps. And I feel like I was just talking about this with somebody. I think that there's some pro shot stuff that's leaked. That's um, that's up also. Um. But yeah, you can watch really good quality footage of uh, like the whole set with Mustaine and, um, you know, Danzig was there. Uh, King Diamond was there, um, Ozzy and Geezer. I mean, it was just all the guests. Yeah, it was incredible. All right, I but, gotta go on one of those. But dives. Deep cuts, man, and they played. Um, but to me, they're not. It's like saying the Beatles have deep cuts. To me, there's no such yeah. thing as deep cuts. They're all they're, the, the albums are so good that every song is a classic to me. I mean, I would love at I, least, like I said, to, to me, the first five. Like when I say the first five, like I think there's with Load, and I like Load and Reload a lot. I, I could trim the fat on both those records, but I wouldn't say that for the, the previous five. Yeah. Um, there's an argument to be made, much like Use Your Illusion. Uh, I've done, did you, you, did, you, like did a, you read my article I did? No. I did a... Uh, Making it into one really good album. Yeah. 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 And listen... I love the bloatedness sub- of it, though. It's subjective. Kind of part of it. Yeah. It's subjective, like what songs you'd keep, but I... Nobody I, wants my world, but... No. <laughs> Otherwise, did, it's subjective. It did not make the cut. But And guess this, I was actually in the middle of doing... I uh, load making one actually and what I called it was fully loaded <laughs> um, <laughs> I made one, I, I made one called last chance to load oh yours oh. is better well I never finished it I hit a I hit a wall where I was like where I wasn't totally sure I was like should this make it and I just kind of like I almost got like like uh, I just got stuck with it and I was like because I had to be able to go out and make the argument because what I did w- with the User Illusion was I went in and I just did a little blur when he Was that song. when you were doing the VH1 column? This was after VH1 and I, I just did a guest blog for um, Metal Sucks. I pitched mm-hmm. it to, to, to Noisy and I, I got turned down. I, I, have a, I have a pin name for Metal Sucks that I haven't used yet. If I, if I talk to them about if I ever want to just talk trash. Yeah. <laughs> is that, is I that... came up with a Metal Sucks-esque goofy pen name. But, okay. Uh, but I haven't. Uh, About me, I, I go to people know. Doc Coyle, I put my name on it. <laughs> I've yet to want to talk trash, really. So, 
Um, you don't seem very trash talking. No, I'm not. Um, last chance to load. Oh, and so you know the record label Profound Lore, who does a lot of cool hip decibel metal type bands. Yes, yes. Um, I have uh, my buddy Stavros, who's in the band the Atlas Moth. Shout out Stavros. By the way, great phrase decibel metal. Yeah, right. And because you immediately knew what I meant, right? Or I say Saint Vitus metal. Have you ever been to <laughs> that the, works not too. the band Saint Vitus, the, the bar, the, the bar. Of course. Yeah. yeah, totally. Invisible oranges metal. Um, my buddy Stavros, who's in the band The Atlas Moth, who is a load reload defender like both of us. Uh, By the way, that's I get props. Yeah, because you don't you wouldn't think yeah. a lot of the death you know decimal metal heads are are really flying the flag. We want to do. I I I was talking about getting together a bunch of cool hipster metal bands that are down with load and reload and doing a tribute album. Well, think about it. They how many of those bands are like stonery? Exactly. You know where. That's what that record is. It's Those a blues. It's a like, blues rock album. Yeah, they were and and they were being true to themselves like they always are. And at the time, they were listening to Soundgarden and they had rediscovered Thin Lizzy and they liked Alice in Chains and that stuff came in their music just like when they were listening to Diamond Head Motorhead all day. That came out in their music, but all through their own prism and still. Yeah. So it sounds like them. The house that Jack built, bro. Hey, all right. Outlaw Torn Outlaw and Torn. and Bleeding Me. I will put in any top fifteen, maybe even top ten Metallica songs ever. Those two songs are untouchable. I'm with you, bro. And and do the uh, Outlaw Torn unencumbered by manufacturing version where you had to go buy the CD single. So Load, you would probably know this because you're more tech savvy than I am about this end of music, but CDs can only contain so many minutes of yeah, music. Yeah, 74, I think. Um, Load was too long to fit on a CD. So they trimmed part of Outlaw Torn. Because it like fades and then there's like a... I don't actually know where the trimming happened, but they but they definitely made it shorter than it was supposed to be. And there's a single out there with the full Yeah, and of course now that everything's digital, you get the full version, I think. Yeah. But um but yeah, there was a one of the CD singles for one of the other songs in the record, the B side. It was called the Unencumbered by Manufacturing Version in parentheses. Uh it was By the, the way, that's that's not good copy. No. And I think that and I and I feel like that was sort of on purpose, you know. Like uh, it was it was like sarcastic. It was, yeah, I get it. Um Dude, that song, you can't, there's no denying that song. It's just, it's so good. So on this show, have you had like a, um, you have, do you have some real St. Anger defenders? Have you had those conversations or? Is... No, in fact, by and large thus far, I've been, like with most guests, you kind of hit a wall where they, where they were over it. You know, I had Blasco on the show, you know, Blasco. Um, and he, you know, loves Metallica, of course. Uh, but I think for him, it was like once you got it a few records in, it was like he he was he was over it. So the um, thing is, I'm never over it. Like even though I I take Saint Anger with what it is, like I don't think it's it's a very great record. I think there's there's if a great... it hadn't happened, we wouldn't we wouldn't have the band today. Yes, but what I'm saying is, I think yep. there's a great record in there. Agreed. I don't I don't think they actually got there with it. Um, did you ever watch the thing the kid did where he? It's on YouTube. Yeah, they re-recorded it. Yeah, but that's not what I would have done. Like, I actually have a completely you different. Edit the song. No, I have a completely different idea. Mm. Yeah, like it's not that. Do you tell. Well, it's not that the songs uh, just needed to sound better. There's a like, they need to be shorter. There needs to be guitar solos. There actually yeah. needs to, like, to me, you take the components. I think a lot of the the vocal melodies. We're not really worried. Like I think I love like, the, har- I, the harmonies that he would do on the blackout that he brought back on this record. Yeah, but I'm saying, but even let's say you, you took certain things like 
maybe don't tune the guitars that low. Take the yeah. same riff too. Like to me, it's like uh, strip mining a car of all its parts and then re-putting it back together. Like, like I would love to do, if I ever sat down and just go through the record, maybe take, even maybe combine certain things, but take the, the raw elements and then make five new songs out of parts from that record and release it as an EP, really well produced, maybe get someone who sounds a lot like Hetfield to sing it, get a player that maybe has, you know, maybe I can kind of get, get my, fake my Kirk Hammond on, but something where it's like, you know, they're too good to not have great components. It's just a matter of, yeah. you know, but, 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 but my, my overall point about it was just because I didn't like that record or didn't think it was up to the snuff of, of what else was going on. I wouldn't, it would never make me like not want to go see Metallica or not want to support the band. Right. But the, the way you kind of frame it is like, people are like, yeah, I'm kind of done. I'm kind of moving on. I'm like, you know what? All right, you're, I guess you're too cool. You're way cooler than I am. You're the, yeah. like, I'm never done. I'm never out. You know what I'm saying? Because Hetfield is feeling it. I am feeling it. All right? That, to me, the, a real fan, six around. It's like the, what's that? The difference between conditional and unconditional love. Yeah. Like, yeah. with certain bands, it's like they've done so much for me. Yes. They would have to be, you know what I'm saying? Like, maybe, let's say, if the next record was kind of insane anger territory, you know, of just the way. Because the thing is, a lot of it to me is just the approach because it's basically a, a an inflated demo they it took really is. they I, took it, their jam tracks and they just edited it together and they were and they were experimenting with moving shit around in a computer in a way that um i feel like a lot of the editing that people that all of us sort of collectively understand was necessary with that record that didn't happen if they would have gotten together and played those songs in a room as a band it might have happened organically. You know, they might have said like, "What the? Why did we drop this part in here? This is weird. Yeah. Let's get rid of that." Um, yeah, there. That's a great idea of of taking those core elements and and doing exactly. But what I'm you saying, but that's how I I see it. Is if I was just kind of taking on as a, as a pro- project, yeah. which to me is like the kind of what Metallica does with when they cover other bands' songs. Right? Mm. They take these things that are kind of rough around the edges, and they may not actually change anything. But they just Metallica it up, and it's and they make it sound good, and they play it super tight, Turn the and they page. have their tone. They have their tone. Merciful Fate medley. And yeah, if you go back and listen to like, I'll take the Metallica version of the Merciful Fate songs. Me too. Over the other ones, and um, and, and no disrespect to Merciful Fate, yeah, legendary important. And I'm band. sure uh, someone who grew up listening to that would be like, "What are you fucking crazy?" Um, but that's what they did. Yeah, they took a bunch of Merciful Fate songs, they took a bunch of Dio songs, and made one thing. And it and revamped it, and I think you could do that with that because it's about the components. Are the components good? Yeah. If the components are good, it's there. You just have to kind of just, you know, you have a piece of rock and you got to chisel it down and and get the get the perfect sculpture out of it. And yeah. I, and I and I said this when um, when Hardwired came out. No matter where you stand on the spectrum with Metallica. You're always aware of what they're doing, and you're always talking about it. Oh, and by the you way, know. if you were out on Saint Anger, and then you like, and then Death Magnetic and Hardware Wire came out, and you're like, oh, you know, I don't know, it's kind of, you know what? That's more about you, yes, than it is about, yeah, because you're you, because it's it's like almost this thing, like, um, you know, like like politics work where someone will like make a decision to like, all right, I'm. I'm done voting with this people. I'm I'm done being a, a 
Democrat, I'm being a Republican, vice versa, right? I'm done being a, a, a Republican, I'm going to be a Democrat. And then you kind of like waffle and you're like, man, maybe I made the wrong choice. But now you've earned, you're already deep in the game. You can't go back. So it's like, I already got done with Metallica. I can't, I have to kind of approach the new thing skeptically mm-hmm. because they've already burned me once. Where it's like, yo, either you like it or you don't. And I get it. You're not 13. You're not... Uh, that, that's always my thing. Time, place, and circumstance. It's never going to sound the same to you as it did when you discovered it or where, you know, and, and, and also listening to it uh, with critical and experienced ears and life experience. But yeah, you're, you're kidding yourself if you ever were a Metallica fan and you hear a song like All Nightmare Long and it doesn't do anything no, for broken, you. Broken, beaten, and That's scarred. about you. That shit comes on right now. Yeah. I might, I might kick your refrigerator over. That's what I'm all saying. Right? Yeah. yeah, and and I think everything they did with Death, Death Magnetic, which I loved, was my favorite record that came out that year. They played those songs live, and they went over just as well Absolutely. as as their their old songs. And I think Hardwired's even better because Hetfield brought back those vocal harmonies. It is better, and I would say it's uh, like Death Magnetic with some black album. Well, reload I love I love the fact that stuff. they did. They didn't just all right. We're gonna do a thrash rehash not didn't mean to rhyme but they weren't just hey we're going to uh reinvigorate this one version of metallica no we kind of back everything we've done and we're gonna let all that shine and i love that that it there's ups there's downs there's slower songs there's faster songs Mm -hmm. it covers a lot of ground and it the production is better than death like that so and i think hetfield sounds better yes it's a little more like produced yep which i like like here's the thing was metallica i love you you're not a garage man. Your records never sound like you always. Metallica always had the best production. Garage Inc. sounds a thousand times better than Saint Anger. And my thing was like, if you wanted strip, Garage down, Inc. Like, might be you? the best sounding Metallica <laughs> record. The period. not produced stuff, Dude, quote unquote. That's yeah. the best. I think it's the best drum sound he ever got. One, of, you know, was I don't know if Hetfield's ever sounded better, but I don't like the. I get they they want to be real and they want to be like to the point and sound like they're in a jam room, but guys. We will never get to see you in a jam room. We get to see you in arenas and stadiums. So make the record sound like that. Like, that's my, my only thing is, and I think the new record, they pretty much got a little back to that, whereas I feel yeah, like with... It's a balance. Yeah, Death Magnetic, they want it to be a little more raw, but I still think it sounds good, even though people complain about the mastering. But I'm just not that... I don't I don't get that deep in it. People love to complain. Like, I literally did a, a monologue on my show today about complaining and being being a hater and just like... Hating everything. It's like, man, this ice cream sundae is real good. But you see this one sprinkle? This one sprinkle sucks. Fuck Denny's or whatever the hell you got the ice cream sundae. <laughs> like, people are just mad. They, yeah. they were, you know, they be in like, you know, the Sports Illustrated swimsuit model. You know, this model, she looks good, but look at that one part of her hip. You know, that shit's crazy. She's busted. One out of ten. Yeah. I wouldn't touch her with your dick. Like, that's how people are now. Like, who are you? What have you done? <laughs> Yeah. Where, where do you the, get... mas- the masterings too, too, whatever. Yeah, that's funny, dude. Oh, the mastering. It's too loud. I bet you got Venom, Black Metal. We got a big poster in, in your in your room. And you, you you like, you know, love like show no mercy. That shit sounds fucked up. And now you're <laughs> now you're mad. The mastering, you know, I was really I put it into my spectrometer and I looked on it and it didn't totally it's like Yeah. Like, get out of my face, man. <laughs> Oh my God! With that being said, I do have the Guitar Hero mastered version of that. Oh, and it's probably better. And it does sound a little <laughs> just a little bit, a little bit. But I'm with you. I am with you on this. Um, so, 
let's get into your your Metallica experiences. So we're yeah. talking about some of the the stuff that you discovered. When was the uh, first time you saw them play? Actually, on the Saint Anger tour, two thousand three. Uh, probably friend, you know, Denise Kariki. Yeah, of course. Also MTV. Formerly a Fuse at one point. Viacom uh, employee. She was... She's the person who introduced me to Dimebag and Ozfest. Incredible. Great, good, great, great. One of my best friends. And uh, she brought... She was doing uh, some stuff with MTV, uh, doing interview stuff with basically every band on that tour, Limp Bizkit, Linkin Park. Um and they had like this backyard party, like barbecue thing. Was that one of the summer sanitarium tours? Exactly, yeah. exactly. So that was the last stadium tour they did before for this one. Was that also the tour where Hetfield messed up his back and there was a show in Louisville where like every other singer sang? I have no idea about that. Anyway, yeah. This is not... I, all I know was... This, where, time, this show is where we nerd out about such yeah. things. So, so I, I, saw, I saw them and, and I thought it wasn't like... I didn't think they sounded the best... Um, the St. Anger songs didn't really, it kind of like slowed down the set. And I was like, oh, but it was Metallica. I was pumped. It was in Philly. Um, and then I didn't see them again until Death Magnetic in when they were playing in the round. Um, yeah. This is when Machine Head and Gojira opened. Or no, Volbeat opened. Sorry. And this was in New Jersey. And it was like the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like seeing them in an arena, especially in their round, because there's, no, there's not a bad seat. Yeah, everything's close, blown away, and then this is two thousand nine. Actually, was this two thousand? No, it was two thousand nine, in like summertime. And then I was on tour with God forbid in Europe. Mark Morton from Lamb of God. We were at Grass Pop Fest. Asked me to fill in for him. And I'm gonna stop you there for a second because uh, I've had people who listen to this podcast will know this. Obviously, I've had Mark on the show, and we talked about um, Lamb of God touring with Metallica. And that being obviously a bittersweet time in his life as of he was, you know, back and forth, leaving the tour and, and uh, coming back on the tour and that sort of thing. So this, I love having you on the show a few episodes later and talking about that other perspective and, and filling in for him. So I assume that conversation, he said, look, I've got some heavy stuff going on. I'm not going to be able to. Well, it wasn't heavy at that time. His wife mm. is just, his wife is pregnant. Oh, okay. So, um. And I think the heavy stuff you're talking about is they they lost the, the yeah. baby, but at the time, obviously that was not okay. known. Um, yeah, my timelines. But he's like, scattered. yeah, the tours with Metallica, and I'm like, and I, at first I actually said, hold on, I have to like talk to my band, like instead of like the Ryan Down answer, like, yes, <laughs> and then you figure it out. Yeah. Um, but I no, yeah. so like for 20 minutes, this is what I said, and because Godfrey was in a pretty big uh, touring cycle. But I was like, 20 minutes, I was like, I think I called my manager or something. And I was like, uh, what am, am I stupid? Am I crazy? Yes. You know, you just, oh, yes, I will do it. And then you just figure it out. Yeah. Guys, I'm, you know, like, I got this opportunity. Like, this is when God forbid gets to fill in for me so I can fill in for life of God. Whatever, whatever we have to do, right? <laughs> um, and, of course, that night I'm like listening to Glam God. I'm like, I have to play these songs? Oh, my God. <laughs> what did I do to myself, right? Um but anyway, so I was like, the tours a few months later, start learning songs, whatever. So it's like, it's a two-pronged thing. It's, yeah, I get to play with Lamb of God, which is crazy. And they're such an amazing band. Their songs are so hard to play. So, and then it's like this Metallica thing. Our, our first show, Nashville Arena, you know, that was, so did you ever see the Lemmy documentary? Yeah. So, you know, the show, they're just playing yes. Metallica. Yeah. That was my first show. Wow. Yeah. So it's wow. like, you walk in there, it's like, walk behind <laughs> Lemmy's, uh, 
uh, door. And I'm having, so it's day of the first show. Murder one. I'm, it's the most nervous I've ever been in my life. I was going through a breakup, so I was having anxiety anyway. I was a mess. You know, I'm in the, the lunchroom, and I see, like, Kirk Hammett, and I see, like, you know, some of the guys. And I'm just like, just, they, they have a personal sushi chef, you know, and I'm just, I don't, I don't even know what's going on. <laughs> most nervous I've ever been in my life. Uh, <laughs> you know, the intro music is playing, and then Chris Adler just looks at me and goes, hey, man, just put on a good show. And then all of a sudden, I kind of calm came over me. I walked out, and I was just like, "It's just a. Sh- I, this is what I do. I'm a, yeah, you know. Yeah. It'll, and I, you Sometimes know, you, you have to remind yourself of that. I, we were, I was talking about that with Rob Flynn on the show when he was talking about when Machine Head toured with Heaven and Hell, and you know, finding yourself in a conversation with Tony Iommi, and you have to kind of remind yourself, like, no, I, I, it's okay. Like, I deserve to be here. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm here. Well, see, imposter syndrome. <laughs> imposter syndrome. Yeah. Yes. Um. And that's well. I think. Listen, with, we all we all have it with the music side of it. Like I give it. Like I'm not the most technical, gifted guitar player in the world. I'm not. I don't sit around and do scales eight hours a day. I do. I'm like you. Do I have fifty different things? And music is one of them. So if I get a good gig like that, you know, it's not like I'm not Jeff Loomis where I just oh, it's real easy. Like <laughs> I have to work really hard to get it to the level of being tight and all and all that stuff. So, so there is a level of, um, not necessarily imposter syndrome, but just like, you got to go up and do the job and it's not, yeah. you know, like the truth is like Dusty from, uh, between the barrier to me ended up feeling for Lamb of God down the line and a few more times. Cause guess what? He's probably just a little better than me and like, yeah, he probably did a little better. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> he kind of looks like Mark. No one knows that he's gone and we don't have to like make an announcement. You kind of stick out like a sore thumb cause your head literally looks like a thumb. <laughs> from like you know in the back of the arena <laughs> so so uh no so i go out there do the show and i'm just like going off just rocking out you know just doing my thing and then i you know that tour i watch every show from the crowd every show i'm you know i don't miss one i play my gig and i go out and i watch metallica and how and how long were you out on that leg only th- three it was three weeks out of a s- nine week tour that's you a know. long time. Some tours are only three weeks period. And the thing was so great, you know, maybe a week into the tour, we do two nights in Montreal. They break the record for the Bell Center attendance. And they take all the bands out to eat and drink. So after the show, like midnight till like five in the morning, just to hang out, just to talk. So like I got to, you know, at my table it was Kirk and Rob, you know, do some Gojira. Like we got the other table is... James and Lars and like they were just they like people don't understand that it it doesn't happen that other bands go out of their way these are these are guys that they literally have a private jet and they leave the shows and they go somewhere like that's what they do they have (laughs) their tours they do a week on tour Mm -hmm. and they have a week off and they go home and they spend time with their family they literally do not have to take their time. Their time is extremely valuable and it's important to them, A, to bring bands on tour that they have a lot of respect for and that they enjoy. But then on top of that, that they actually want to bond with them. Yeah. That is fucking crazy. Um, and, and as a peer, not as I'm the headliner, you're the, you go to, no, right. it's, it's, I want, you know, and they, and, they, and so the, there's a quality to that band that is very, very human. 
Um, and you see it in, in, in everything, like that some kind of monster movie, which so many people hate because it's about weakness and frailty because most people don't have, they're, they, they're, they're not strong enough to actually show their weakness. And that's what the, it bothers them that uh, people they think are superheroes are weak and have frail, or sometimes, right? Uh, because they want them to be superheroes. But guys, yo, I hate to break to you, superheroes ain't real. That's super, Spider-Man is not a... And to me, it, ma- it makes that, it makes the superhero moment so much bigger having endured all that. One of my favorite parts of Some Kind of Monster is at the end when it's, when they're on stage again, you know, and then you're, it's like you've, because now, now you feel even that much more connected and that much more emotional about the triumph of the band on stage because you've seen all of the struggle and strife. Yeah, but it goes beyond that. They do shows, right? And they put them up the next day for mm-hmm. people to download. And there's mistakes in it. They put shit out with mistakes in it because they're like, yo, we're human beings. We're not, we're not going to go and fix it and pretend. And they, they're the one man that doesn't have to do that. They could literally have everything manicured and made perfect and put, and it says so much about their philosophy on music and art and performance and connecting and even seeing like uh, they would do meet and greets, right? And have, you know, every day with their, their fans and, you know, just seeing the way they approached it. It was not like, here's a line of people I go through. They talk to everybody. Yeah. Where are you from? Look people in the eyes like they really care. And, and guess what? The arena sold out every fucking night and there's only about 20 people in the meet and greet. They don't, re- they don't have to do it. Yeah, it helps. I'm sure they make some money. They sell like whatever. But do they really need money? No, they, they are so grateful that the fans have given them this wonderful life that they want to give back. Like that's their time and energy. Like it's to do what someone has to do, you know, in that level. People don't know. Like, and you look at the promotion they did for the last record. They're on this show. They're on that show. Mm-hmm. They're for, like their day doesn't end. They're up at eight in the morning. They're working. They're doing work all day long, and they're done. And these are fifty year old men. You know, they work so much harder, and they they're you can tell they're just, you know the same thing. And you know after the tour. A couple years after I started playing with Rob Trujillo in a band called Mass Mental, I was playing in a cover band uh, called Rebel Noise Group. My drummer, Ken Schalk, who was in the band Candiria. Yeah. Toured with Ken. He was filling <laughs> Ren- in. Renfield of the Misfits. Yeah. He was filling in for Brooks Wackerman, who was, who's the actual drummer in the band. Maybe not anymore because Avenged. Who's, he was also the Avenged, a drummer of Avenged Sevenfold. And the band, it's Mass Mental. It's the original band. It's... Rob Trujillo on bass, this guy Armand Cebolocho on tenor bass, so two bass players, and the singer Benji Webb from Skindred. They would do a part of the set where um, Whitfield Crane from Ugly Kid Joe would sing these Sabbath songs. So they needed a guitar player for these three songs. You know, all these names are going around, Joe Holmes from Ozzy, and somehow Ken's like, yo, let's get Doc. And... Because of serendipity, the fact that I toured with Metallica, he knew who I was. So I just come in. It's not even a trial. It's like, hey, you're going to do these songs. So I just come in. I jam with the band. It was the first. And we played at the Whiskey. I mean, Ozzy was there. Stuart Copeland from The Police. I met Duff McKagan. <laughs> this is my first gig in L.A. I've been there for like two months. And I'm like, yeah. what the hell is going on? I'm jamming. Yeah. You know, and, I'm, and the thing is, I was really into my instrument at the time. I, like, We would improvise and... and we did the gig, 
And he calls me the next day. He's like, hey, Doc, just to let you know, you killed it. I love the way you play. I love your attitude. You're going to do great. Anything you need. And then the thing is, after that, so I was the fill-in guy. He kept calling me to jam, do rehearsals. Like, they had a main guy that would do stuff. So I was kind of like the backup. But I was like, I don't give a fuck. Robert Trigger, do you need me? Yes, I'll be there right now. I'll be there. Boom. So, and the thing about Rob, you see it. Like, this guy does not have to do these gigs. He is so, this guy at the time, he was flying to San Francisco twice a week to write the Metallica album and record. He was producing the documentary, the... Uh, and, he's, and he spent a million dollars of his own money on the, on the right? Jocko Pastore stuff. He's working on that. Then he has this other side band, uh, Mass Mental, and he's just, just to play because he loves to play. And, I, and he shows up and he's the most humble guy. <clears throat> um, no attitude. Like, you know, you see him loading his own gear. Just, it's just about it. Just being in it, being with, you know, being with musicians and, and making music and, you know, just seeing that you're like, so this is how it goes. <clears throat> the higher up you go, the cooler they get. Mm-hmm. I've, said, I've said this as someone who has interviewed uh, a lot of people in the, the film side of the world, directors and, and, and actors and so on. Whenever people have asked, you know, uh, what, what's so-and-so like or what are, what are actors like in general? I've found that, you know, if you're sitting down with a Tom Cruise or a Ben Affleck or a Johnny Depp, they're super great to you. And I, and I think it's because they're, they're somewhere where they're, they're comfortable in their own skin for the most part. Actors at a certain level, directors at a certain level. You know, I, I just interviewed Ridley Scott a few weeks ago, um, and it was him and Christopher Plummer together. Uh, those guys are in their 80s. They're both legends. Um, Christopher Plummer's is nominated for an Oscar again. They don't have anything to prove to Ryan Downey when I walk in the room. You yeah. know, instead they're like, oh, I mean... Oh, look at, look at your tattoos. Uh, they're just like super, you know, personable and, and interested. Like you were saying about Metallica uh, and their fans, you know? Well, all um, they, all they, here's what I kind of realized, or maybe I already knew this in some way intuitively, but I think when you're famous and legitimately famous, people are like, right. you're famous. I'm like, yeah, like the guy at the metal show knows me, whatever. But when you're actually famous, where everywhere you go, people know you, all you want is for people to treat you like a normal person. Yeah, that's a good point. And not kiss your ass and not, so what was it like, man, when you, on that <laughs> right. record, you know, right. that, hey, remember when you made uh, the Black Album? Yeah. yeah. That, that was cool. Chris Farley show. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, that's, they just want you to be a person and, and yeah, and, and, and just be on the level, you know. Yeah. But, but anyway, that, and especially with Rob, because like I said, he's not an original member. That's the guy who just, everything he has, he worked for it because mm -hmm. he was that good. And guess what? Eventually, his attitude had a lot to do with why he got the job. Right. You know, outside of just being like, like to tell you, you had, being in a room with Rob Trujillo through his and just hear his fucking bass rig and how heavy it's playing Black Sabbath songs with a guy who <laughs> played with who played Black Sabbath songs with Ozzy. Yeah, and just knowing with like his fingers, just yeah, just like this is an education. This is I am, you know, like I said. The, that situation where you can say I'm the least the, the the least smart person in the room or the least talented person in the room, you become the luckiest person in the room because you get to say, mm -hmm. I'm just absorbing. Ju -ju -ju. Just tell me where to be. Come on, guys. I'm you know, and the, and so just having those opportunities 
um, has been incredible to have some kind of connection uh, to the you know the greatest metal band of all time. Hey, is, man. Uh, so that's awesome. So uh, while I've got you here, um, before we go, let's talk about Bad Wolves. Sure. What do you, um, what do you want to and know? And you guys were in the uh, the headlines a little bit recently because you were about to do that collaboration um, on the Cranberries song. And uh, that was, of course, very sad. Uh, but what's uh, tell me a little bit about the band. What should people know? What's what's coming up? So Bad Wolves, I'd say, I don't want to call it a super group, but it's definitely a, a band of established mid-level <laughs> metal guys. It's yeah. uh, metal, top... metal middle management. <laughs> yeah. So it's the band was started by John Berklin, who is the ex drummer of Devil Driver. And for people who don't know, he was the main guy. He you know, it was banned from the beginning, wrote a lot of the material, recorded a lot of the material, including guitars and bass. Uh, really creative person. Uh, and then he joined up with Tommy Vexed. He sang, sang with Divine Heresy and Westfield Massacre, Snot. You know, Tommy's kind of known as this guy who kind of jumps from this band and Filled that band, in for Five Finger. Filled in for Five Finger Death Punch, you know. Um, and he's always like, you know, he knows everyone. You'll see him, he'll jump on stage with like Seven Dust or Deftones. So he's kind of like this guy who's almost like a metal celebrity who just kind of hasn't nailed down one band. Yeah. He keeps jumping around. And he, that's when they linked up, and then I heard what they were working on, and, and then John was like, well, we need a guitar player. And I was like, I'm your man. And so, and then we eventually we got uh, this guy, Chris Kane, who had, who's jammed with band, like For the Fallen Dreams and Bury Your Dead. Um, and then Kyle Conkeel, who was in Vimic with Joey Jordison, mm-hmm. which was Scar the Martyr. And he was also in, in, in this moment. So it was all just like, professional guys who kind of know, know what they're doing. You just got to be comfort, uh, comfort level too. When you're in a room together, it's like, you've all been through it, you know, I mean, these you know. Are, and also I've known with exception of Chris, I've known all these guys for years. So there's comfort level there. Anyway, we do a video for a song called learn to live comes out, um, last year and it just takes off immediately. Like it just blows up at YouTube. People are going, everyone's re- dude, this is the sickest shit I've heard. We get like five record deal offers. And for and as you, someone who knows the music mm-hmm. industry, this doesn't happen that often anymore with no. a brand new band. We hadn't played a show. We hadn't, so people want to know, what's your socials? What's the, you know, so the <laughs> yeah. band is clearly onto something. Yeah. We eventually decided to go with 11-7 records, which if you guys don't know, that's like Papa Roach, Nothing More, Motley Crue, 6AM, Hell Yeah, In Flames, you know, very mainstream label. And and then that was done through Zoltan from Five Finger Death Punch, who was the manager of the band. So all mm. this kind of came together. Yeah. Where all of a sudden we had this kind of avenue into, you Zol- know. Zoltan's a friend of the show, oh, as we say. right on, right yeah. on. Zoltan, shout out, to, shout out to Z. You know, because the truth is a guy like that just has a lot of power in this industry. And so we, all of a sudden we kind of realized, oh, we're on this other kind of path. You know, because we kind of thought maybe we'd sound with like a, nuclear blast or something like that which is a great label but the truth is you know we have pretty big aspirations and mm-hmm. and so with so within this tommy brought this cover of uh the song zombie by by the cranberries and he had worked it out with with another guy and it was going to be on the record and since we signed with 11 7 one of the main guys at our label used to work with the singer on oh, wow. her old label and tommy's like so She's gonna record on the song, on the cover. And we're like, what? We're like, okay. And but I'm like, I'm actually kind of skeptical. I'm like, sure, sure. You know, I'll believe it when I when I kind of see it. And then 
the day she dies was the day she was supposed to record the song. I, we had no, the band knew none, none of the thing about the, the timeline or that this was actually happening, but apparently this was actually happening. So when she dies and then her story goes global, Battles gets mentioned in almost every story. And so the label comes to us and says, hey, we want to put the song out um, and we want to give the proceeds to the family as, as a tribute. And we're like, of course, you know, anything. Um, and the song comes out and it just explodes you know it's it even you know it hit number one on itunes rock charts uh you know it's killing it at youtube it's doing like you know eighty thousand a day you know just and just the outpouring like from people people are just kind of flipping out about it uh rolling stone did like the premiere it kind of like really opened up a lot of doors for the for the band in a lot of ways and obviously it's very bittersweet because you know someone died yeah you know, and and a massive talent too. Yeah, super, you know. I mean, this is, you know, a band that touched. It was really really important for people. Um, and the, in truth, that's why the song is doing well because, you know, they wrote a great song, and uh, and especially she's at the the forefront of that. Her lyrics and her melodies and her voice. So it's kind of created this whole other thing, and, and you know, so our band already had a really kind of bright future and, mm-hmm. and a lot of big things on the horizon, but. You know, to have kind of like a hit song, it's getting, you know, it's one of the most added songs to Active Rock Radio. And, you know, so it's, you know, in this bittersweet moment, it's carving a path for our band to have like a kind of really great jumpstart out of, of a career. So it's, uh, it's tough, but we're also excited because we want to do well, you know. And, and so, so yeah, so, we, so we're kind of this band that has this kind of mainstream thing, but we're also really, heavy band as well so things are going well we have a lot of big tours uh, a lot of uh festivals and stuff we're doing so i don't know it's it's and that and that begs my next question with um the number of different things that you're involved in and that you're passionate about and, and you're doing um is this like are you looking to put a band kind of at the forefront of what you're doing because you know how to part of your identity you know in your life and the and yeah. the the priority with not to say the other things aren't important but are you kind of back in that mode with this thing or is it still sort of it's more fits into a compartment with everything else here's what i've learned in life is sometimes you have to let the winds of life just push your boat because i think a lot of things i've done you know especially since leaving god forbid which is about being like all right i'm you know being determined i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do that but sometimes just if you just take your hands off the, you know, the sail and just let the winds push you, Jesus, life, life. Jesus take the wheel. <laughs> no, but in a, in, a, in a certain way, it is, yeah, it, is yeah. it is a little that, that if you, if you actually kind of stop trying to control everything all the mm-hmm. time and just look at what the, the universe presents you, things get a little bit easier. And that's a very James Hetfield thing you just said. Yeah. Um, Modern well, James Hetfield. Well, <laughs> no, but it's just something I've, I've noticed how like, Everything doesn't have to be hard. You just gotta listen. Like like I had Eric German, uh, the entertainment lawyer on my mm-hmm. show, and he just talked about this idea of like bands like just like trying to force it to like, dude, if it's not happening, just move on. And then that's the thing. So with this band, everything's just happening. Like we're like yeah, we're, we work, we work hard, we put in our hours, but once we put something out, people just they love it. So it's like, and I've done other things where I know it's good, but it's not connecting the same way. I 
I struggle to book a show. This is, everything's hard. And it's like, life doesn't have to be hard, but I think we're kind of tricked into thinking life has to be harder. Everything has, you got to really grind for everything. Your 10,000 hours. Yeah, Yeah. which is, I think in a lot of ways that's that's true. But here's the, you know, with this, I've already put in my 10,000 hours and then some. Right, right. So um, we already know how to do the job. It's not that, it's just that, you know, it's what I, you know, I think what's kind of great thing about the new media about, you know, I would, you know, write a piece, you know, about something and that would, you know, for VH1 and get a hundred thousand hits and I release a song and we get 5,000 hits. <laughs> right, right. So if you're listening to the universe, <laughs> should you be writing or making yeah. a song at yeah. that moment? Just listen, like yeah. what's, e- you know, so, and then I started doing the podcast and you start and you just start seeing, wow, everyone's hitting me up. About the podcast, yo, that's great. I love it. So, and if I, so if I was sitting there, I was like, I gotta put out my solo record. It's like no one wants your solo record. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I that's do. that's I listening do. to the universe of like, yeah, all right, this is working. This is, and not only that, like, writing comes to me really easy. Like I love it, but it's just and the same thing. I used to draw. I used to draw like comic books and stuff, and music came way easier for me. Same thing. Writing is even easier for me. Then music and hey maybe doing this is even easier for me than writing I don't know it's kind of like don't f- like just don't fight yeah the thing it's like man I'm really bad at this so I gotta work on this well, no maybe just focus on things you're good at yeah I don't know there's a wisdom to that for sure I'm I'm with that it's uh yeah and also in terms of enjoyment um you know the sort of career I've carved out for myself here what I'm doing uh, with this podcast and you know, the events I get to do at the musicians Institute and uh, managing producers and still working with the demon hunter guys. I mean, there's things that I'm doing that exactly like you said, I think you put it you articulated it very well um, that are taking you. You're just kind of going with the current where you're like, Oh, this is, I'm being led in this direction. This is easier. Whereas, you know, there were things I wasn't happy doing anymore, like fighting with, other managers and agents about which band's logo is and which part of the ad map. Yeah, that's what you know. That's what I say. Like, you know what? I'm just gonna not do that anymore. Yeah, but that's what I say. Like so many people, they do jobs they don't like, and they're just like, "Well, I gotta do it." They are in relationships they're not happy in. Like, right. Well, I gotta, you know. I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> right. I mean, obviously, the one thing you can't do is like if you have children and you're like, "I'm not really feeling having children." I think I'm gonna stop this. <laughs> right. That's probably the one thing you really can't. But almost everything else, you can opt out. And you can say, you know, I don't like this. But people kind of get, we're adaptable. We kind of get used to the misery. Mm-hmm. We get used to to being slightly dissatisfied. And yeah. we just kind of, and we, we develop coping mechanisms instead of saying just bounce. Well, that is a great spot to end on, Mr. X-Man. <laughs> Thank <laughs> when you it's so time much. to bounce. Doc Coyle, everybody. Isn't he great? You're going to want to head to DocCoil.net to keep track of the multitude of projects and endeavors that Doc is involved in. Since you're already in a podcast app somewhere listening to podcasts, go ahead and click that subscribe button on the X-Man podcast. And if you'd be so kind while you're poking around in there, don't forget to leave a five-star rating and a nice little review of Speak and Destroy. Every one of those helps. It all matters. The more of those we get, the higher the visibility, the more people will discover the podcast, and the more everyone gets to share in these great conversations about the greatest band in the world, Metallica. You can find Speak and Destroy at speakanddestroy.com, as well as now on YouTube, Instagram, 
Facebook, and Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Ryan Downey and on Instagram at SuperheroHQ. Speak and Destroy is part of the Pop Curse Podcast Network. And as always, you guys have been great, and I've been Ryan J. Downey.